What's up, everyone? I'm Paul, and today on the Low to High podcast, I have a great interview with former two-time national champion at Duke University, Case Mathias. Case and I talked about his high school career, where he's considered to be one of the most decorated high school lacrosse players of all time, playing under the legendary coach of Jeff Braemeyer at Darien High School. We also got to talk about his playing days at Duke and what it was like for his team to be back-to-back national champions. Case and I also spoke about what life is like after leaving the lacrosse world and how the lessons he learned during his playing days have translated to the real world. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Go follow Case on Instagram at Case Mathias and let's get right into it. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Not nah, just Case Mathias flying into the crease and scoring a goal. Case Mathias, former Duke University attackman and two-time national champion. Case, what's going on, man? Paul, oh, good to see you, dude. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Uh, where are you right now? I'm in my apartment in Manhattan, New York. How have you been uh, dealing with COVID so far? You know, quarantine, how have you, uh, have you been? Pretty good. Uh, I spent a lot of time with my family, kind of from March until June. Then uh, all of July, I rented a house with some friends out in Montauk and lived out there, which is awesome. One of, Actually, ironically, one of the best months of my life, despite everything going on, which is cool. Uh, and then I've been back in the city since pretty much uh, from August until now. You've been doing a lot of Zooms for work and all that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's become like a daily event. And as I'm sure anyone that you would talk to about the subject would say, it's just like, I'm, I really value like face-to-face interactions and the Zoom stuff is getting old, but you know, I can, I can do at least one more today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Zooms just kill you, even just like the mental strain and then like your eye strain as well. You know, it's just, it's very, very tiring. And then, you know, don't like if, unless like, especially in January that you can't really go outside and go take a walk, you kind of have to stay inside, you know, put on the TV or like work out from home. So it feels I could uh, probably you more than me that you're in a uh, apartment in New York city. So I I'm assuming you feel, you feel a little cooped up right now. Yeah, a little bit. Um, luckily I have some friends around. So like, even for example, today you can go walk around on like the West side highway, which I did today with some buddies, uh, walk around. Like I live in the Soho area. So there's some fun, like kind of sightseeing just to go walk around and people watch if you will, or just go walk around the West village or whatnot. So it's, you can still find ways to keep yourself busy. You ever go on the high line? Yeah, yeah, I've done that before. Um, I would say only a handful of times. I more prefer just the uh, the West Side Highway. It's more accessible, typically, and a little more open. And I have a uh, one of my former teammates. His, his name's Chad Cohen. He's number four in uh, in my class. We have a, a rollerblade gang, so we go rip up the West Side Highway on Sundays, typically. For sure, for sure. So as in court, as like quarantine as a whole, what do you think was like the biggest thing you took out of it, or something that you mastered? Uh, I learned how to play guitar, which was nice. Um, so that was a cool skill I picked up. I would say it's probably a little bit more like the heavier side of things, but, uh, I just have refused to like live in fear, I guess. Um, you know, I try to be respectful and follow the guidelines and everything, but, uh, I think you see some people walk around just terrified day to day, um, because of what's going on in our society and something I've learned is I refuse to like, let that even enter my mind which is cool. Uh, you know, I just try to be as positive and as optimistic as possible. And I think now more than ever, there's a premium for that in our society. So yeah, it's a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit on the heavier side, but I, I try to just be as positive and optimistic and uh, mm-hmm. worry-free as possible when it comes to anything related to that topic, for sure. Um, and, and a value, one other thing is that you realize how important your friends are to you, um, which when you play college lacrosse or you're on any sort of sports team, you always have your friends just kind of instantly there and you have those communications instantly there but uh once I was like shacked up uh back with my parents in Connecticut for about three or four months and your friends aren't like you're, you're around your family obviously but your true like friend like your your non-family friends if you are like your social life's gone and yeah, yeah, yeah having that around you is such an integral part of like my happiness and what I get out of life now mm-hmm. just like you were saying just like even though you're missing those face-to-face interactions that like you could almost still keep those uh keep those relationships strong despite all this going on yeah 100 yeah and uh, i would say there's there's been some weird silver linings of this whole situation that and one of the things has been uh there's a handful of friends i've just become even closer with um throughout the time which is cool and like we, we like the group that we did the montag house with primarily like we were always like close and 
you live in the city and like you like see each other out at like bars or whatever in a normal circumstance and now like we're living together in a house for one month and like, you just become so much closer than just like drinking buddies on the weekends which is cool yeah definitely so you know in the house in montauk you know you don't have your parents uh helping you cook and stuff it's just you guys were you a big cook or did you help out or like doing it and do any of that stuff we had uh we had a few guys that were very um adamant about the going and buying food at the grocery store and cooking it at home uh i'm the kind of guy where i just like to go do takeout frankly so i, okay. I don't think i cooked once in montauk <laughs> that's all right sorry right. don't worry yeah. no shame no shame in that no shame in that nah, yeah we had some good uh, options yeah. around us I, uh, I found, you know, a couple of guys that I spoke with in the cross world or just in general, like people, like my friends is that they, uh, they learned to cook and like kind of master cooking during quarantine, whether it was like, I found it in myself that I like started to be really good at like making like breakfast food. Like I learned how to make hash browns. I learned how to make good scrambled eggs. Yeah. So that was like probably one of my silver linings, just uh, learning how to cook. I spoke about this, uh, in like an episode before, but I'll just say it again, because I think cooking in my opinion, just such an important habit to have, you know, my parents have loved cooking. My mom loves cooking. My dad loved, like he's obsessed with cooking. And, you know, I know I used to know how to make the basics, but now, you know, if I was forced upon, like if I had to cook for myself, I could, and I think I can make some pretty good, uh, pretty That's good cool, meals. Man. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think it's uh, something, it's a good hobby. Cause I never felt as a, a person, I really had a hobby. And I think, picking up cooking a little bit more was, uh, was it like, could be another thing I could add to, uh, being like something that I enjoy. Yeah. We actually, we did one week during uh, quarantine when I was living at home where each member of the family had to, uh, cook and prepare a meal one night. So when I was up, I bat for that. I learned how to do chicken parm with uh, broccolini and, uh, angel air pasta, which is awesome. How'd it come out? It came out really well, actually. It, it was fun because like, I had to get the ingredients and prepare it, but like I still needed extra hands in the kitchen. So I was kind of like leading, leading the show, but like we had, like my mom was helping out my sister. So it became like a, a family thing as well, you know, uh, just a new activity to do. And we had a really good time with it that night. Oh yeah, definitely. You need like, you need more than like one hand in the kitchen. Like I know my parents yeah, always going on at once. Yeah. yeah. So case let's start, let's talk a little bit more about lacrosse. So let me start off with a couple of questions I want to ask you. Where are you originally from? Uh, I'm from Darien, Connecticut. When did you start getting into lacrosse? Uh, it was, I think I was in first grade and we had a, a program called Blue Wave Buddies where members of the high school lacrosse team in Darien came and helped coach and uh, teach us lacrosse. What, uh, what position did you start out at? Uh, I was always in tech. Mm-hmm. And was it just uh, like uh, something you took up by yourself or were you like uh, influenced by some of your friends that were also playing? Yeah, I would say when I first started learning the game, like in, I said earlier in first grade, uh, I did not enjoy lacrosse at all, actually. And it was more of something that my parents guided me to do because it was like it is and it was and is the biggest sport, I would say, in our town um, or, or so. That's how it felt when I was there. Um, and they pushed me along and it really wasn't until sixth, fifth grade where uh, we started playing travel across and I had a coach, uh, his name is Dom Finn. He was just, he was a Syracuse across legend. Uh, he was just inducted into the National Cross Hall of Fame. Uh, and the way he coached or whatever it was about him really started to open my eyes to the sport of lacrosse. And I think uh, like that summer, I went to one of the Powell camps and going and being around those guys was also what took it to the next level. So I would say the Syracuse former Syracuse players are very responsible for me falling in love with the sport and trying to take that to the next level. Growing up, were you a big Syracuse fan because of that? Yeah. I, yeah. I'd say my favorite lacrosse player growing up was definitely Mikey Powell. I used to watch all all those tapes that are out there on the internet, um, from like the old final fours. And I mean, it, from what, from the late nineties through 2008, yeah. Syracuse was in pretty much every Final Four, uh, which is pretty cool. Up, up yeah. until 2009, I think it was. So, uh, yeah, they, they were really fun to watch, and I've always had respect for the way that they uh, they played the game. Yeah, they completely changed how, how lacrosse was viewed and how lacrosse was played on both on a national level and in the world of lacrosse. You know, Powell's Powell's really did shape what kind of modern lacrosse is today. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, besides playing lacrosse, did you play any other sports growing up? Yeah, I played uh, hockey, 
up until my freshman year of high school. And I played a lot of tennis actually early on as well, but it was primarily uh, lacrosse and hockey. Besides, uh, besides uh, like looking up players from Syracuse, what other uh, college or professional athletes did you love seeing or watch, uh, love watching as a kid? Uh, I would say that there was a, a guy in my town named Kyle Hollingsworth, um, who uh, he graduated during high school in 2005 and went on to have a great career at Brown. Uh, and he's actually, so in high school, I wore uh, number four. And the reason I wore the number was because of him. And he was a big, he was pretty instrumental in developing my skill sets uh, in like the middle school years. I used to work with him, do private lessons, whatnot. So I'd say definitely Kyle. Um, yeah, it was really like he, he sticks out more than any other. And then obviously, frankly, those are the main guys I was following. Yeah. And would you say you kind of emulated how you played your game after the Powells and Kyle? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Kyle was an ex-attackman at Darian and at Brown. And um, obviously, everyone knows who Mikey is. And I, I used to watch those tapes all the time. And that's when I tried to structure my game around 100%. When you were young, how would you, you know, how would you structure your game? Would you go play wall ball for hours? Would you just uh, play, play in your backyard? What would you, what was like your go-to practice routine? Yeah, it was definitely wall ball. I had like that, uh, one of those like Ryan rebounders in the backyard. Uh, my parents were able to set up lights in the, in the trees. So it would be like come home after school, just pound, pound against the wall pretty much, both hands. Uh, whatever I did, righty, I would always do 2X lefty. That was a like a, ruled and I for myself with all that stuff. Um, yeah, so wall ball was definitely the foundation of all that stuff. And then I was just like having fun messing around shooting in the backyard. For sure. What do you think was like your longest uh, stint of just playing wall ball for like a number of consecutive hours? <laughs> I don't know, man. Could have been, uh, I was out there for a while. Like we used, it, it was one of those classic stories where, you know, like the neighbors getting all pissed off because I was out there late at night. Uh, I don't know. I, I have no idea what the longest would have been, but definitely, definitely up there for a few hours. I've heard rumors of someone going like, I forget who it was, but it was like 10 hours straight. It was just like a Saturday afternoon and they just went after practice and they just didn't come home, which is like crazy because I, uh, over quarantine, what my biggest thing was, was just playing wall ball two hours every single day. And like on the fifth day, I actually ended up like hurting my arm because I was playing, playing for too long, but you know, you have to do it in something that you have to do in moderation because it could be tough on your shoulders. But nonetheless, I think wall ball, is a staple in almost every great lacrosse player's uh, lacrosse players like routine. Would would you agree with that? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Like, uh, it, it literally is what when I used to go to those Powell camps, they would always preach basically if you have good stick skills, then a coach is going to find a place for you on the field, no matter what your uh, level of athleticism is. And I think that's very true. And something that's great about the sport of lacrosse is there really is a position for everyone, um, regardless of size, speed, strength, etc. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree that through that. For sure. And going into high school, you're going into a legendary, legendary program at Darien. What did it mean to you that you got to, uh, play for a team with such, uh, such an historic background? It was great. Um, it's one of those, it's one of these things where when you're going through, first of all, you grow up in our town, like I alluded to earlier, where lacrosse is the biggest sport and you've been playing for the town for however many years and you you pretty much idolize the high school lacrosse players like those guys are guys to you and so then once you're finally in it it's, it's pretty cool and we had a great run when I was there a great four years some great memories that obviously will last a lifetime um but now you do look back on it and you the coach Braymeyer is still there now he has built the program from scratch um he's the like the the figurehead if you will of daring lacrosse um and it's just cool because now I'm on the other side of it and all of these people who have gone through the, like and played at Darien, and you could say the same thing about Duke also as well. It's, there's a common bond you share amongst everyone who's done it. And you see how this, how this legacy of the program itself gets built and carried on. And it's, I feel pretty lucky to be, have been a part of that. You know, seeing all the players that have gone to play division one, two or three at Darien, does it just kind of show how well of a coach uh, how well of a coach coach Braymeyer is it just develop developing players from when they're freshmen to their senior year? Yeah, definitely. Uh, coach B gets credit for that. And I think you also have to give credit to the youth, the youth program itself and uh, the amount of parents, frankly, fathers in the area that dedicate their time to coaching kids at the youth level. So 
by the time they do get into Coach B's hands, they've already been well developed. They've done the summer camps, et cetera, the summer teams, which also to Coach B's credit, I remember when I was in sixth grade, like the club circuit was nothing um, anywhere really. And Coach B was one of the first guys to start the Connecticut Chargers. And I know for me personally, and for a lot of the guys my age and the guys below me that became part of the program, having the experience playing for the Chargers allowed us to uh, build our skill sets even more. Um, so it's, it, I would say it was Coach B's, it was a youth program, Coach B at the high school once the, uh, the kids get to high school, but also Coach B's uh, time he spent building out the summer, summer program of the Chargers really was impactful on a lot of people. Did you ever feel that since you were playing, I know everyone now does play summer lacrosse, but did you ever think, uh, you, did you ever get tired of playing lacrosse year round? No, I, I, I was always frustrated because I felt like I was always playing my best lacrosse at like the end of July, right at the end of the club circuits. Yeah. And then you had to go put the stick away for pretty much August and however many months of fall you weren't going to play. So in summer, like, summer lacrosse was our will always be some of my favorite lacrosse memories playing on those teams with your friends going slogging out to Jersey or Baltimore and then like staying at the hotel after all that stuff those, those memories practically, are cool. practically have uh, having Gatorade as an eye injected into 24 yeah. 7 in the there's this tournament it was like the uh do you ever play in the tri-state tournament out in Jersey no I haven't I don't know if they still have it but it was literally like you play like six games in one day and it's like 95 degrees out it's because you think about like, yeah, because you think about going from, you know, a 16, 17 game high school, high school season in the spring playing maybe once or twice a week, then playing six games or six to six to nine games in two days is just a crazy turnaround. And that's when you have, and in the summer, you have to play your best lacrosse there. So yeah, that's something that never, that's a little bit unspoken is just like the mentality and just the physical strain of summer lacrosse, even though it's probably the one of the, some of the best times you ever have. It is, it's, it's tough. Cause it's, you know, if, especially, especially when you're playing on the turf in those, uh, in those turf games that, that you're not on the grass field, it's 10 degrees hotter than it actually is in the sun on like in the, like, at like 3 PM and it's like 120 degrees and you got to run around. It's, it gets tough at times. Yeah. And uh, something that I feel like you might've been alluding to is, uh, or, I heard you start to talk about it, but this concept of playing in summer tournaments towards the back half of your high school career is vastly different than when you're playing in middle school or in the first half of your high school career, because mm -hmm. then you're worried about getting recruited and playing in front of people. And the fun of what summer cross is in my eyes kind of gets zapped out a little bit because of that fact. I mean, the, the whole recruiting process itself is fun and that's awesome to go do and be a part of that. Um, it's a different kind of fun, obviously though, just going out and slinging the ball around your, your boys feels much different when you're in middle school uh, in those summer weekends. Um, and I know that one of my former teammates, uh, Deemer Class, he's running his first class lacrosse program. And I've, I haven't been following it too closely, but I know that one thing he emphasizes when he runs his showcases or his events is that no coach is there to watch. So you're just there to have fun playing across with really talented players and offer that kind of unstructured environment, I think is unique and it's, I would like to see, I don't follow a lot of little cross stuff as well as I should be, but I would like to see that more uh, in the game. And I don't know if it exists more than it does now, but I think that's something that doesn't have to get talked about enough for sure. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Especially not just lacrosse, it should be like all sports that there's just events that it's just you to play and there's no one to impress, you know? Yeah. I mean, you see in these football recruit, you ever see those football camps in the summer or in the fall that there's like maybe 150 coaches there and it's just you again, like you're not even with anyone, you know, it's that stuff like that can almost like suck the fun out of sports. And, and it's unfortunate, but you know, it depends. It's, it's, it's a different kind of fun though. You know, like playing in front of all those coaches is actually a really cool experience in and of itself and, and important when you're getting recruited. Um, it's just different. It's just different. Just unless you have like, unless you have like a very different, yeah. It depends on it depends on how you play as well. Because if you have a, like a, a crappy crappy get crappy day uh, playing, then like you're gonna be you're gonna be you're gonna be a little bit down on yourself. But you, if you play really well, you're gonna be really excited. So like hopefully the sport kind of does transition, and I think it will. But you know it it is what it is right now, and I think I think it's still sport lacrosse is still growing in that sense. So it's not something to worry about too much, but it'd be something nicer to see. I think we could both agree on that. Yeah, totally. So, uh, Case, what was your recruiting process like? You know, we were just talking about that, you know, summer bowl. What was your recruiting process like, and why'd you end up choosing Duke? 
Yeah, so I think uh, it was mostly occurring over the summer of my sophomore going into junior year. Uh, I went to Blue Chip and uh, Maverick Showtime and was playing for the Chargers. Uh, and it like we were, I think the class before me, uh, the class of 2011 in high school is when you started to see some of the early, early recruiting happening. Um, and then my class was probably the last one before it all got pretty crazy. Um, so I ended up committing to Duke um, the first week of September, my junior year. Uh, I had done in-person visits um, to UVA Duke uh, on the same weekend. And uh, it really came down to those two and Princeton uh, and, and Syracuse. Those were really the top four. And uh, yeah, I would say that Duke was a pretty easy choice because it, I thought it gave me the best chance of winning a national championship and also getting a world-class education. Uh, and uh, I just felt so comfortable meeting the guys on the team and meeting, going down and meeting the coaching staff in person. Uh, I just felt so comfortable there. And I felt like there was, it was more of like a gut feel than anything else. It just felt, there was something about that experience that resonated with me very strongly. And uh, it has sent this kind of template for decision-making that I've had throughout the rest of my life now, where once you make the decision and you, and you know it's right, um, no matter what comes up after that decision's made, you just know in your gut that you've made the right choice. And there's no doubt whatsoever in your mind, which was a really cool feeling to have at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, for sure, for sure. And what was it that like Coach uh, Coach Janowski kind of preached to you, maybe personally, that kind of just stood out the most? You know, I wouldn't say there was anything preachy or shoved in my face at all. And it, it's almost the the inverse of inverse of that. They were just so relaxed, and it was kind of the way they communicated was, "Hey, if you want to come, we'd love to have you. If, if you don't want to come, then great, that's fine too." Like uh, that was like the overall tone that was communicated maybe not verbally it's and I thought that was such a position of confidence to come from uh when you're selling selling I guess or recruiting a player um and yeah that, that was that more than anything else from the coaching staff just so very calm and secure and what I guess is the way to put it um mm -hmm. yeah and being you know you were ranked the number one recruit in your class did that, that ever put any sense of pressure for you in high school while you were playing uh, I would say no, because it was something that I, that was a goal I'd set for myself in like middle school. So once you achieve the goal, uh, you just have, you have that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I never thought really twice about that. If anything, having an X on your back was kind of exciting in a way, knowing that every time you step on the field, like someone either wants to, to crush you or is waiting to watch something cool happen. Like that, that feeling of anticipation when you step on the field, I thought it was very cool. Just like everyone's looking at you in the stadium. Is that something that like you, like that, uh, that kind of rush of everyone knowing who you are, not, not like it's, it's going to, it sounds narcissist what I'm trying to say, but like, you know, just everyone knowing who you are. Is that something that like you, you kind of loved? I mean, it was fun. It's fun to be in the spotlight. Um, hundred percent. And I, again, kind of circling back to this concept of like learning things, when you're in high school or college or whatever, I think it was a really good learning experience as well to be subjected to that, if you will. Um, but it was fun. It was a fun time. Yeah. So I got to ask you about your uh, your highlight tape. So it's like the most viewed high lacrosse highlight tape on uh, <laughs> on YouTube right now. What was uh, – did you make that yourself? No, so it was uh, Lacrosse Recruits was the company that I was working with at the time to – put that all together um so they were responsible for like the editing and everything like that if you could add any song from when it was made in 2012 to now in 2021 what song would you use to just like go over the highlight tape instead of the, instead of the music you used back then i like a new song from today yeah uh i would choose i like that song in my mind by denaro you heard that one yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that would fit. Okay. And would you also, I mean, it's like, how long is, I think it's like 10, 10, 11 minutes. Would you, would you shorten it or would you try to make it a little bit longer? <laughs> make it longer? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think, I think 10 minutes is the perfect time. I don't think it needs to, needs to be any longer than that. And 
I don't know. I don't think I was short either. I think it was perfect the way it was. You liked it? Okay. I mean, there's like, there's multiple copies on it because I was looking at it a couple of days ago, right after you reached back out to me. There's like multiple copies of it online. There's like, there's also like different edits of it. There's one like at the end, it's uh, your state championship game and it has like all the, the list of all your accolades and it's like the voiceover, which I thought's the coolest part is the voiceover of the comment, like the play-by-play commentator, if uh, if you remember. I think that's, I think, what, would you say that's like the coolest part of it? What do you think was the coolest part? Um. Yeah, that, yeah, my senior year when we won the state championship was pretty, pretty cool experience, pretty cool memory. Uh, and that's always just such a cool day for the uh, the program itself. When you play in that game at the stadium, it's Brian McMahon Stadium in Norwalk, Connecticut. Uh, it's always like a hot summer day. And we, the three times I played in those games, we won. And it's just a really fun moment amongst everyone else. And then summer, like, is right around the corner after that, too. And you get cool. to look, yeah, you get to look forward for that. What was, uh, what was your, what, what was Darian's walkout song usually or pregame song that you guys either play in the locker room or on the field? So we didn't have music on our field, which was terrible. Uh, there was no pregame warm up uh, when I played. Now there is, um, and it's because of like neighbors or something. But uh, I remember my junior, like the one song that sticks out distinctly was my junior year. Uh, we listened to Euro Dancer. That song that was a big one in the locker room. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And what about? Would you guys have a locker? Uh, do you have a speaker in the locker room for yeah, like yeah, uh, post game? Some like speaker system or something. Yeah. What? Uh, what was the big? If you guys had a huge win, what was the big uh, post game? Post game song. Yeah, post game song. I remember my senior year was uh, uh, "Heart Vacancy" DJ from Mars remix. There's everyone has like. Uh, I feel like every lacrosse team has someone who's like a like a, a DJ on the team who just loves playing with SoundCloud and just makes these like like god awful god awful mixes that everyone yeah. thinks are so good and they just have these crazy beat drops. But you know those are things that are just like hilarious to have like in the memories of just like those crazy beat drops and like the mosh pits after a huge win. It's just something you won't. It's like something you probably will never forget. Even though like in the moment in the moment it was like. The song, the song was terrible. Like, what were you guys even doing? But it's just awesome to look back on. 100%. I remember, I distinctly remember my freshman year uh, before that, like, I don't remember if we had played, like, songs in the locker room before in the games, but we had we had not done this before. And we played Heat of the Moment by Asia in the locker room before the game. And it, I just, for some reason, that moment sticks out to me more than anything else. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, also end of your end of your high school career after you won the state championship, I think you got to play in the uh, first Under Armour All-American game. So how was that experience like? That was cool. That was a really, really cool experience. Um, they definitely ran that event to make you feel like, like a, uh, not like a pro- professional athlete, but I felt like, I felt like the treatment we got was similar to the treatment that like a college football recruit gets when they do whatever it is they do for their uh all-american games it was really yeah. well, well run event and um obviously the best players in the country at that point in time uh, for our age group at school was a cool plan on home uh, yeah was it at homewood your your year uh we played at um Towson's field yeah that's uh, always packed like the uh when they have because Towson hosts the uh, miaa for like their lacrosse finals and from like the photos you see on youtube and like videos you see on YouTube, it's just packed. Was it like packed for you when you uh, when you played in it? I wouldn't say it was packed. Uh, I mean, obviously people in the stands, but I would not have called it packed. Now nowadays, it's just it's huge. It's like huge for people because like everyone goes now because they yeah. have the they have the under they have the underclass the underclass games as well, and like mm-hmm. all the people that were playing that go to that, and then all the people from Maryland also go watch. So hopefully, I don't know what's gonna happen with with it like next year. I know they didn't have it next year, but I don't think Under Armour makes lacrosse equipment anymore. So I think another oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, they're oh, done. Yeah, they uh, they cut. It happened in August or July, I want to say. But everyone, yeah, it's it's tough, honestly. Everyone, uh, like Mar- I know all the teams that had Maryland, Yale. I know all like the Maryland teams uh, had, like all the Maryland schools had um, had Under Armour's sponsor. I know a couple of ACC teams did. So I think Maverick picked them. Picked them. I think they still make like jerseys, but they don't make 
actual like gloves, sticks, and stuff. They they yeah. cut all that. That's unfortunate because I I actually yeah. kind of liked some of the stuff they made, but I think someone else is going to pick it up. But that's always a huge event in the sport of lacrosse that doesn't get broadcasted as big as it should be. So looking forward to seeing that kind of grow in grow and trend in the upward direction. But besides that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your your time at Duke. So what was uh, what was it like stepping into your first fall ball practice uh, at Duke? It was cool, man. I, so we basically show up to campus and the first month is just weightlifting and running. So you're not, you're not actually playing lacrosse or anything like that. Uh, so you, you're getting to know the guys through, through that process. And then you actually strap up the equipment and it's a way different experience. Um, and it's cool. I mean, similar to what I was saying earlier about playing for Darien, when you play for playing for Duke, um, it's something you've been anticipating for, for years at that point in time. Um, and once you're finally there, you kind of just hop right into it and see what you can uh, see what you can achieve. Um, and yeah, it was very cool. Uh, that year was awesome with those guys on that team. It was a lot of fun. Were you uh, were you a little surprised? Because I know when people talk about the transition from high school to college, the like, the, did you ever think like the ball was just moving ten times faster than uh, than what you were used to playing at? Yeah, I, I would hundred percent. I think the biggest uh, hurdle. Of, in that regard, overcome when you first show up is just knowing um, all the movements on the field, basically, like what the, the proper rotations are from the attack position when midfielders are dodging or when attackmen are dodging, where you need to be position-wise on the field because, like, the ball is moving faster, but then also the people are moving faster to be in those various positions. So I think, for me, that was the biggest adjustment, just knowing what I needed to be doing at any given point in time on the field. Yeah. And what was your, uh, what was your favorite drill uh, your first year coming in, like favorite lacrosse drill that you like doing? Yeah, we have, uh, we do a lot of ground ball. We did a lot of ground ball drills at Duke and there's one called scrapping where you kind of line up like two or three guys on uh, the mouth of the goal and the ball just gets rolled out and you fight for the ground ball and try to score. Um, so those ones are really fun. Did you see what Duke was doing uh, this past fall ball with uh, the Duke Outdoor Lacrosse League? Yeah, yeah, I saw that from afar. Uh, it's I like the uh, the press releases and everything like that to keep it interesting. Yeah, that was awesome. I thought that was just – that just goes to show how creative and how good of a coach Coach Janowski is just coming up, especially in such a tough position like that the sport was in and just sports in general, to come up with a thing that just helps, you know, boost the team's morale and get them get them being competitive again after, you know, going going from eight months of not playing lacrosse is just something something super special in my opinion. Yeah, they what was really cool to see is they were pretty much taking advantage of the fact that they have such a big roster now because of all these transfers that came in. So they could play these very uh, intense, I would imagine, very intense games every weekend. Um, so I would think that offers some sort of competitive advantage to other programs for just getting reps into the fall. Uh, and and a lot of these guys had seasons taken away from them last year. So to get out there and compete again against high-level players was probably very meaningful for those guys, I would imagine. 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah, I fully agree. And going back to, uh, you know, playing at Duke, play, uh, playing your first year at Duke, what were some things that you were just trying to work on as a player to help improve on that you think you needed some work on? Uh, I spent a lot of time working on my shot that year specifically. I thought that needed a lot of work. Um, and again, it just, I, it's, it was the shot. It was kind of knowing where you're supposed to be on the field. And I think a lot of what you have to overcome uh, early in your career in the college level is the mental aspect of it. And just making sure that like when you show up on day one, you have no role on the team really. And you have to work through the, and earn respect and trust your teammates, coaching, coaching staff, et cetera. And there's, there's mental obstacles you have to overcome along the way to excel in that, in that mm-hmm. realm. Um, so I'd say a lot of mental work as well. And bouncing off of that, who do you think out of all the upperclassmen helped you uh, transition, uh, helped you tr- helped you with that transition, just helping you learn uh, learn the plays, learning how how the practices run, who was a guy that you looked up to? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that year, specifically a lot of guys I looked up to, uh, I would say as far as like really getting me comfortable on the field, it would probably be uh, Josh Dine and Jordan Wolf, those two guys who I ended up playing with on, on attack that year. Uh, yeah, so playing with them every day and whatnot. They were just always there to answer any questions or provide leadership um, for sure. And out of uh, Josh or Jordan, who do you think, uh, who do you think you tried to not almost emulate your game, but just learn from the most? Cause they're both, they were both terrific players. Who'd you try and just 
try and understand the most as a lacrosse player? Yeah, I mean, I, it's they both had different skill sets, and I would say if you were to try to compare the two, that's hard. That's hard to do. Um, yeah, but uh, I would say to pick one thing from each of them, I would say something that really stood out to me about Jordan was that he brought it in practice every single day, and the consistency to do that was I always thought very admirable. That's something I learned from him, or tried to take from him because he was so good at doing that. And then uh, Josh Dime was like one of the was and is he is one of the best teammates, if not the best teammate I've ever had. So uh, he was like a great locker room guy, really fun player to play with, very scrappy, um, great rider. So th- those would be two things I would highlight from them that I tried to learn from. Out of like all the uh, out of the, all the players that you played with uh, on like the offensive side, like Miles, Jordan, Josh, or Deemer, out of like any of them, who do you think like had an underrated skill that no one really knew about? You know how Miles is like very strong. Like everyone knows, like Miles is really strong. Deemer is a great shooter. Jordan's lightning quick. Lightning quick. Who do you think had a skill set that was kind of underrated? Yeah, I would say the first one that comes to mind is Chad Cohen, who's also in my class. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, he was just underrated, in my opinion, in general. Really good dodger, really good ball carrier. And you can make the argument that on another team where Miles and Deemer were not on the midfield line, he would have been like the go-to midfield, like the number one midfielder in a lot of teams in the country that, that year, senior year. He was a really good player. I, I mean, I remember watching uh, – watching, I think it was 2013 – yeah, it was 2013 championship. You know how they aired all the um, – all the championships on Memorial Day. Yeah. It, I mean, that was just a 10 hour binge of just lacrosse for me. I don't know if it was the same for you, but I feel that was just, that was just an awesome week and a half. But I remember watching those games and just seeing how fluid your offense was at Duke. What do you think contributed to that the most? Uh, we, we just had like, if you look at which, which um, were you referring to uh, 2013 or 2014 or both? Or? Yeah. 20, 2013. Yeah. I mean, if you look at that offense, you had the arguably the best uh, ball carrier ball carriers in, in the country at each respective position. Like you had Wolf uh, on our attack line, and then uh, Dave Lawson that year was the first team American midfielder. Um, so when you have guys that got two specific guys like that who can really break down defense, it just opens up the door for everyone else on the offense to uh, to operate at high capacity. And so you're drawing slides, you're moving the ball, you're attacking the weak side of the defense, and uh, yeah, that's a person. First thing that comes to mind is that. And then, uh, you know, we're just always taught at Duke to make make uh, smart decisions and have good stick skills, play with both hands, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, those are the things that come to mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, going off of how, how strong Duke was in 2013, uh, you guys ended up in the championship day weekend for the uh, for the uh, for the second time in like three years. Why um, why did you feel that Duke was just being so consistent even before you were there to, to 2013 and then eventually 20, 2014? Yeah, so I think uh, to brush up on that stat, I think at some point there was a point in time where Duke had been like eight consecutive Final Four or something insane like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think it just has to come down to the, the culture of the team and the staff, frankly. Uh, that feels like a cookie cutter answer, but it really isn't because I truly believe that. And you can, the thing you can point to is if you look at the Duke across team or the program since Coach D's gotten there, uh, I don't think you could find one player that's ever transferred out of the program once beyond. Like there's been a few disciplinary uh, situations, but you have never seen one player willingly transfer away from the team to go play somewhere else. And if you talk about like action speaking louder than words, that speaks volumes to me. I don't know if you can say that about any other program in the country. No, I mean, even seen 2020, nine out of their 10 uh, scores are still staying, and they bring in the number one player in the country, the number one freshman in the country, bring in a bunch of new guys, and everyone still wants to say because they still want to be a part of that. What you're saying is just that environment of, uh, of Duke. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, 100, and you have guys doing six years because they, they just want to stay there for one more year. Um, so, uh, like I said, actions speak louder than words, and something like that speaks mm-hmm. volumes. And finally, winning your uh, your national championship in 2013 as a freshman, uh, how did that feel for you as a player? That you know, first year in, you already got you already checked something off your college across bucket list. Yeah, man, that was a surreal experience. 
uh, like all these things we've talked about, it's something that you set as a goal for years in advance, uh, and then it finally happens. And I, I mean, at that point in time, for for like my, I guess my life, it was really cool. And you're with these guys who you work so hard with the entire year, uh, especially that team because we started out two and four, and we faced a lot of adversity early on in the season. And there really was like a it felt like there's a real arc, like a this is almost like a sports movie in a way, like the story arc of how that season unfolded. And I have learned so much and carried so many lessons away from that experience specifically, just uh, progressing and persevering through all, all the adversity we faced. And then to end up as champions at the end was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, right after winning in 2013, what were you looking forward to most in the 2014 season? Uh, I think it's got to be, and it's, probably it's easier said now because it ended, it ended up happening. But my first thought was like, we can do this again. We brought back a lot of the, the same core guys from the 2013 team. And at that point in my mind, it was, I want to win as many, as many of these things as possible. Uh, so it was just getting uh, back in the weight room, back in the training room and getting ready for 2014. And, you know, would you say the same stuff that contributed to your success in 2013 kind of just brought over to what uh, like to continue, continue what you, what had already started into 2014 yeah i mean it's it's a it's a confidence thing more than anything else when you look at it from that perspective we brought back a lot of the same guys and we were all running on fumes from the high of 2013 walking into the doors of 2014 and then uh the, the coaching uh becomes much clear like in, in terms of listening to coaches and like taking the messages and knowing what's at the end of the tunnel if you follow what the coaches say it becomes much easier in that in that respect uh, from that respect and uh yeah it's we great leader that 2014 team if you look at that class that graduated um having won two championships on the back end of their careers you look at guys like jordan josh christian walsh luke dupree henry lyle chris hips uh those brent guys fowler. were all brent, yeah, how could i forget brent fowler of course yeah like dude like you look at those guys that's that's just it's crazy those guys are all just absolute studs and they set the tone. They, they have set the tone for the program um, from that point on. Yeah. There was a tone that had been set before those guys even got to do, but they carried the torch in a way that hasn't been matched. Yeah. Because of how memorable those, those championship games they've played in still, uh, still trans trans translate to how, how powerful, how powerful, of, how, how powerful a team could be with so many different, personalities in the sense of how they play not of who they are but personalities of how like there's like you could say five out of six of your guys on your on your starting offense were ball dominant players but you guys stuck to the system and you know both years 2013 2014 you still come out with the national championship and it just shows to see like how how powerful like team chemistry and team like being good teammates with each other just translated off off uh off until off into the lacrosse field yeah, absolutely. We had a lot. Of, 2013 was the year of, like like I said, persevering through the adversity of being two and four early on and really proving ourselves and paving the way. And then 2014 had a much different feel from the perspective of like, we've done it, we've proven this to ourselves and we get to have a little, like, I felt like it was, it was a, doing what we did in 2013 was very fun. The fun we had in 2014 was different in, in a way that's hard to describe, but uh yeah, and, and that's I think that's evidenced by the fact too. You look at some of the scores that we posted in that year, and they're like there, there was a run there where we, we were just like hanging twenty goals on every team that we played, and the offense was firing. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I was looking at I was looking at the box scores before this, and it was just like twenty one six against like number sixteenth ranked Army or something crazy. Yeah, I was like, wow, like, these guys were just putting up points left and right. So it was it was really cool to see that twenty fourteen just watching 2014 team play as well with all the guys that are still playing now professionally and guys that everyone yeah. still remembers, even if you guys aren't like, even like you, Chris Walsh, guys like that, that, you know, still, still are known around the lacrosse world, but going to like talking about Memorial day as a whole in, in the lacrosse world, what is the atmosphere like playing on championship weekend? Oh, it's the best. It's college lacrosse. Like Peel is doing some great things right now and growing the sport professionally, but I think, it might take a few more years for the college across Memorial Day weekend to be dethroned. It's, it's really the pinnacle of the sport and everyone's watching, everyone's there. And uh, it's really, really fun experience. 
did you um did you ever get like the goosebumps just realizing like from when you were a kid you remember watching these guys play i know you said you were a big syracuse fan watching you know you got to see mike watch mikey powell and all the other powell powell brothers play on memorial day and you always dreamed of playing memorial day and then you know you kind of realized like wow like i'm in this spot that those guys were 10 years ago did you ever come to that uh come to that in your mind when you were when you were there yeah definitely i think uh from 2006 through up until 2013, my freshman year, I had been to every single Final Four. And so I walked out of the stadium in 2012 thinking, I hope I can be on the field next year. And, and it happened. And uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to really describe to put into words. Um, just very cool experience. And since you're out of the, like out after graduating, did you, do you still like try to watch all the Memorial Day games uh, if you can catch them on TV? Yeah, I'll say more than anything, I, I try to catch every Duke across game. And then, uh, uh, what was it? I was at the Duke game when they played UVA in the in the last Final Four. 2019. Still, yeah, 2019. Yeah, yeah, the last Final Four. I was out there for that. But, yeah, I, I try to go still. Um, really now, it's it's only when Duke plays. I went to the Duke EL game in, was that 2018? Mm-hmm. Uh, went to that game, went to the Duke UVA game. So, it's at the point now where I'll, I'll go uh, when Duke's in. I, I wouldn't go if Duke wasn't in. So I got to ask you, and I try to ask everyone that I have on the show, but what, so I want to, I want to push, I want to push the Duke bias because, you know, Duke's been there out of, besides the Duke games, what do you think have been some of your favorite final four games to watch and national championship games to watch? Oh, well, I mean, you can't caveat that when I can't remove any of the Duke games because I think the best game ever was the 2010 uh, Duke UVA semifinal game under the lights. Very true with CJ Cosmo. Okay, so we'll include Duke in it. Yeah, I mean, that game in and of itself, that was, I was at that game with my dad and uh, some high school teammates, and that was the coolest lacrosse game I've ever seen. And I think it was one of the best games that happened. Uh, I would say, or I I remember the Notre Dame Denver game was really good in 2015. yeah, that was a crazy game. And then obviously with, the champ- the championship game my senior year was a good one between uh, UNC and Maryland. Uh, that okay. out as well. What uh, about? Oh, the, the Brown Maryland game was really fun. Too. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. I was gonna ask you what about the Brown Maryland game? What do you yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Like weekend as a whole, what do you think? Like, I mean, that was, so was that was my senior year at Duke, so that was a little bit tough because at that point my yeah. we had lost to Loyal in the first round and my career was over. Um, so then, like you're hanging out at home. I was at that point. I, I had been home uh, for a few weeks, and you're just kind of hanging, waiting for your job. Like I was going to start working in the city, so I was just chilling at home until that job started. Uh, but I loved watching the Brown guys play, frankly. Um, and a lot of those guys are friends of mine now in the city, which is cool. Um, yeah, that that was that was as bummed as I was to not be there, and it was tough to have to watch that from your TV, but. So I'm gonna ask you one more question about this. It's uh, what about that 2004 Navy Syracuse game? Do you remember that game? Yeah, I have that. I had that DVD in like high school that I'd watch all the time. That game's awesome. So I just want to go back to so you won in 2014, and you know, going into your summer in 2015, going back to Duke as a junior year, your two-time national championship. What kind of expectations did you set for yourself in 2015? Yeah, I mean, it was the same kind of feeling from 2014 going to that year where it's, all right, like, can, how, can we win four of these? Can we win three? Like, how many more of these can we do? Uh, and so it's, that's the first thing it's you want to do it again because having gone, at that point in time, having gone through that experience twice, it's just such a surreal thing to do and to experience with your teammates and it's this massive reward waiting for you at the end of a hard long year working working the weight room working on the practice field um the ups and downs of a season so i think more than anything it was wanting to uh to come in there and win another one um but the the caveat with that is we this time we weren't returning on the same guys that we had the year prior because that senior class graduated so it was uh working with that fact as well and realizing that um, there was new opportunities to try to step up and be a, be a leader in the program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, uh, with Jordan and Chris that graduated the year before uh, in 2014, 
what kind of role did you want to set for yourself on the attack that maybe you couldn't have done as a sophomore and freshman? Yeah, it was definitely becoming more of a ball carrier and uh, trying to uh, be a better um, presence on the field, I guess, from that perspective and trying to be more of a leader and um, going through the ups and downs of like what that entails as well, because that's much easier said than done. And I feel like I've learned a lot from that experience as well of trying to uh, put yourself in a leadership position in, in whatever capacity that is. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely from that perspective how I look at things. I wanted to ask you this earlier, like when we were talking about when you first got into college, but I want to ask you, what was like for you, what was like your go-to move or like the perfect, perfect setup for you? If you got the chance to dodge, what would you try and do, or what was the most effective for you when, uh, when it came to, when you had the ball in your stick and you had the green light to uh, dodge? Yeah, I would say it was uh, definitely the roll dodge. Um, it was typically after I would always try to split and like, I would always roll after a split. That's what I tried to do. So you kind of get the guy chasing you and overcommitting a little bit when you make your first initial move and then you can roll back and go the other way. So I'd say that was, that was probably it. Yeah, I know you're like, you're not one of the biggest guys on the field. Do you think like that roll dodge was super effective for you because defenders are usually, usually kind of slip on that if, uh, if they're, if the guy they're playing is a little bit smaller and quicker, do you think that's like kind of what, uh, like trying to getting sli sliding off of that, like sliding off of the, uh, sliding off the defender is kind of how, uh, how you got a lot of your goals? Yeah. I mean, I would say that being able to use my advantages or my strengths to my advantage is the goal in anything you do. Um, so that mm -hmm. allowed me to use my agility to my advantage for sure. And, Having a lower center of gravity allows you to take like a, a better angle, I guess, if you will, off of that move as well. What do you think was your favorite goal so far, uh, so far in your college career at that point? I had so in 2013, it was the uh, the first round of the playoffs, a double overtime, and I scored that goal to win that game. So definitely that one. Did you have a you have a nice Sally, or was it uh were you just straight yeah, Josh, Josh Donovan tackled me, and then it was like a double final, which was fun. You ever get scared on the being the bottom with dog? I just like I always see in the never enjoyed that. Yeah. Okay. And I always see in the NFL, you know, when there's a fumble and just you got 20 other people and you're at the bottom of it. It's gotta be it's gotta be scary, especially when there's 40 of your teammates coming and tackling. Yeah. That's gotta how can you how can you enjoy that? I, I, Josh I don't, died. I don't I, Josh Don was just screaming. He's like, I got you, buddy, the whole time during that dog final. So I won't that's, forget that either. That's great. I mean what, what, what would be your, if you had the chance to like, if you hit, if you had like a nice low to high shot, you know, low to high, but you know, what would be, uh, what would be like your go-to celebration if you had one? I usually just go celebrate with my teammates and whoever passed me the ball, I'd go give them a hug or something. You see it more often now. It was never, never really back. It was more just team, team celebrations, but now you see a lot, way more, way more personal celebrations. Have you, have you seen anything, any, any ones that have uh, stuck out to you, uh, you know, from watching lacrosse recently? Yeah. Uh, well, my senior year when uh, we played Q's at Duke, uh, Deemer went off that day. And I remember he scored, he scored one of, I think he had like five or six goals that game. And the last goal he scored, he, uh, he like spun the football, like an air football, like uh, people will do in the NFL, which is funny to see. I've seen that before. That's great. Yeah. That's a, that's a super cool one, but get back on track to talk about your junior season. So you guys have a solid, you guys do pretty well. You do solid, but you guys do get knocked down the first round. You know, how did that feel for you after, you know, going undefeated in the playoffs and, you know, kind of having a realization that, you know, you guys are a little bit human that you guys can't be stopped. You know, what was going through your head? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was terrible. Uh, really tough thing to go through an experience. Um, there's no way to like really sugarcoat that. Uh, if you like look at the uh, historically, I think up until that point, Coach D had been to the Final Four every single year with the Duke team, and that was the year that that streak was stacked. Um, and frankly, even from my personal standpoint, uh, up until that point in time, like, I hadn't lost like had lost a playoff game ever. High school, we lost in the playoffs in high school my junior year. I was injured. I would not play in that game. So I guess if you count that, then maybe if you don't count that, then I had never lost in the, the playoffs, um, which is kind of wild to think about in state playoffs and then won two national championships. So I, I had this like almost 
borderline irrational confidence going into any sort of playoff environment because I didn't know what it was like to lose. And so to have that happen was uh, perspective shifting in a way. And it was that was on my mind that entire summer going into 20, and rolling into 2016, starting up my senior year, which is trying to process what went wrong in a way or what I could have done better, differently, et cetera, how I could have learned from it. Um, yeah, there's no way other to say, there's no way to say other than like that totally sucked. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, what would, what was going, what were you carrying through your 2016 season? You know, just training, training during the summer. What was one big goal that you had in mind for your, uh, for your last go around? I just wanted to get back to the final four and uh, I wanted to have a great individual season and stay healthy. I had a lot of hamstring issues in that junior year, which was a problem. Um, So more than anything, I didn't want to miss a practice and I wanted to stay healthy. yeah. yeah, and then yeah, started twenty. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so what would you say, like, after after you know your freshman, sophomore, and junior season, looking back as like the start of the as like for the start of your senior season, you know, looking back as it's like the beginning of the end, what do you think was some of your what what do you think were some of your biggest uh, accomplishments so far at Duke? Uh, it had to have been winning those two titles my freshman and sophomore year, uh, being part of those teams. And uh, yeah, no question about it. Did you think there was anything that you felt like you wanted, you could have improved a little bit more from a personal perspective or from a team perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an easier question to answer now because it's all over and you look back on it now uh, and the experience that you had. And I mean, yeah, so we've discussed now I've won my first two years and then we lose in 2015 in the first round. The same thing happens again in 2016. And, you look back on it now, and it's you try to think about what could have you done better to avoid that, prevent that from happening. And uh, I'm, I'm my own harshest critic, so like I could be pretty tough on myself about things. And I think that I could have done better at being a leader in some situations. Frankly, uh, there might have been a failure of that. That that's not the cause for like the entire season. I mean, obviously, but from what I could control, I feel like there were things I could have improved upon in that regard. Um, yeah, I would say that. And, you know, as you, uh, you know, in your 2016 season, you guys do lose again in the playoffs and, you know, your career does come to an end. Uh, do you think, you know, as it's all said and done, do you think you, uh, you closed the book the way you want, the way you wanted to? Um, that's an interesting question because, I mean, obviously you lose your last game of your career in the first round and that happened two years in a row, 2015, 2016. So for those two instances, absolutely not. I was not satisfied with the way that those things ended. But once I kind of did the post-mortem analysis and the, the three-month period between uh, the season ending and my job starting, it's you start to process the good and the bad. And I, at the end of the day, I think I mentioned earlier in the interview, I chose Duke because I wanted to go win championships. And we did that twice. And so I'm very satisfied from that perspective. And it was enough to the point where I felt comfortable um, walking walking away and moving on to the next challenge of whatever that will be in, in like my own personal life and finding mm-hmm. something new to try to excel at and be the best at. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, what do you think, what do you think are some things that you, uh, that you took from being a Duke lacrosse player and just being a lacrosse player in a whole that you still carry on in your everyday life? Yeah. I, I, something that was always funny for me to think about is the way we went about things in those championship years proved to me that the good guys do win. You know, you see so many examples in today's society of some pretty bad people like getting away with things or still having success and whatnot. And it's very refreshing to have lived through a success story where we did everything right and by the book and no corners were ever cut. So that's had a very lasting impact on myself. And uh, it's, it's, there's a level of excellence that's demanded by the culture there that I look for in everything I do now, whether it's my friendships, the place I work at, uh, things I do, there's a level of competency and excellence I, I try to demand because um, I've experienced it for four years straight at Duke. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is something that you've missed the most so far, you know, being four years, four or five years out of college now, what is something that, you know, you kind of just miss about being, uh, being a lacrosse player at Duke? Uh, it's got to be just the uh, being a part of a, an organization where 
especially sports in general, it's what's stuck out to me is that it really is this like true meritocracy in a way. And whatever you put into it is what you get out of it. And it's purely merit based for excelling and win, like winning a game. There's no corners you can cut to win. You have to put in the work and the time and you get rewarded for it. And being a part of a system like that, where it's just so cut and dry um, in that perspective and having people care about you for no other reason than just that they care about you. There are no other motives that yeah. cloud that picture um, from the coaches to your teammates. I think that's pretty special. It's a, something about sports that I've now realized after the fact because I don't suit up every day to go play the cross anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You're right. You're 100% right on that. And, you know, my last question for you today, uh, I call it the low to high question. So it's a two-part question. So the first part of it is what have been some of your lows while playing lacrosse? Could be a bad game. You'll, you lost uh, a goal that you didn't that didn't go in. What do you think that would be for you? I would say, I mean, losing in 2015 and 2016 in the first round, I've, I've got to be it for sure. Those are definitely the lows. And going right off that, what have been some of your highs while playing lacrosse? Uh, get big game you won, crazy goal you had. What do you think it would be for you? Yeah, I mean, winning 2013, winning 2014, and then specifically that Loyola game that I mentioned to you earlier where we won in the first round at Double OT. Uh, really, really cool experiences. Case, thank you so much for coming on the Loyola High podcast. Really appreciate your time. I think we're both looking forward to watching Duke in this uh, 2021 season. Looks like they're the favorite to win the uh, national championship. Yeah, man. It was a pleasure chatting. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to watching those guys rip it up this year. It'll be fun. All right. Take care, man.